The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're absolutely delighted to have you with us today. Be sure you go, and I say this every week, be sure you go to the Self-Improvement blog and see the pictures of today's guest, her bio, and the review of her book. She is somebody you're going to want to know. And while you're there, stay a while. You'll find a player for the current radio show and all kinds of articles having to do with self-improvement. We try to have a little fun there, so relax and, and just enjoy. Let me ask you this. What do you think when you hear the term sacred life? Is that a new term to you or one that brings to mind thoughts of saints who lived austere lives of self-denial and suffering in a convent or a monastery centuries ago? Or does it make you think of a monk meditating in a cave for years and years? Does it make you think of someone who is in continuous prayer and talks only to and about God and religion and let's get real, sometimes makes you want to walk the other way when you see them coming? Albert Einstein said, life is sacred. That is to say, it is the supreme value to which all other values are subordinate. So what does he mean by that? Life is sacred. It is the supreme value. I think Rivi Nishama, our guest today, has a clear idea of what that means, and we're going to talk about it. She has written a book called Recipes for a Sacred Life, True Stories and a Few Miracles. Yeah, recipes, but we're not going to talk about cooking. We're going to talk about living life to the fullest. Rivi Nishama is a writer and community organizer whose spiritual path draws from many sources, Eastern and Western religions, Native traditions, Sufis and shamans, and her mom. You got to love that. Her stories have appeared in such publications as Ms. Magazine, Glamour, and the New York Times. Rivi holds degrees in philosophy, comparative literature, social work, and education. She's been a, a teacher and a social worker in Harlem, 
a campaign manager in Boulder. That's a long that's a long stretch there from teacher and social worker to campaign manager. And listen to this, and a tarot card reader at Macy's on Halloween. She lives in Boulder, Colorado, although right now she's on a book tour across the country. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the self-improvement show Rivi Nishama. Rivi, welcome. Oh, that was the most beautiful welcome. Thank you, Irene. I feel totally welcomed. (laughs) You are. I have looked forward to this so much. I I absolutely loved your book. Let's start out by asking you to tell us about yourself. Who is Rivi Nishama? Oh, hmm. Okay. Oh, let's see. I, I feel, I guess, like a lot of people feel by the time they're my age. I feel like I've had many, many lives. And each of them. We have. <laughs> and some of them I can't quite remember. They feel like movies I saw once. But one thing, uh, there was a constant thread that, that I've always been kind of a searcher. That I, I read a lot when I was a kid. I like to take walks in nature. Um, I like to pretend that I was one of the Little Women or Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. So I, I was exploring with the mysterious, um, wanting to know what it's all about. You know, what are the answers? What should I do? How do I get to be happy? <laughs> um, help, help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rivy. Oh, you you had said to me before to talk about my name. Um, yeah, w- yeah. I really want you to talk about your name because it's such an interesting, lovely yeah. name. Well, Rivi um, is short for Rivka, which is a Hebrew name, which means Rebecca in the Bible. Oh. And um, Jewish people, when they most of them, when they name their children in America, they give them a Hebrew name first, and then. They'll take the first letter, like, you know, the Rifka, and they'll try to find an English name, an American name that they like, and they'll give them that, too. So we have two names, and my Hebrew name was Rifka, and and my mother couldn't think of what to call me at first uh, for an American name, so she was calling me Rivi, short for Rifka, right from the start. And years later... um, I asked someone, what does Rivi mean besides just meaning Rebecca? And a rabbi told me it meant bound to. It comes from the same root word that yoga comes from, yoked. So it was really oxen that the women in the Old Testament, they were yoked. They, you know, those were the days when women weren't regarded as highly as we'd hope. Um, and I didn't like that. I thought yoked, bound to. I'm not sure. Yeah, that I doesn't that. seem to be you. <laughs> no. So I was um, I was at Hot Springs in California once, and I told some man that my name meant yoked, bound to. And he said, well, think of it as bound to your soul, bound to your spirit. And I thought, that's a nice idea. And then when I met my second husband, um, John Wilcoxon, I wanted to uh, change my name legally and, you know, let go of the name of my first husband. And I thought, well, you know, maybe instead of taking the name of another man, um, I would pick a name. And Neshama, the name I picked, is Hebrew for soul, for spirit. 
So, Rivi Nashama, ah. it now means bound to my soul. How and lovely. that felt so good. I, I had to go before the judge and tell them why I'm changing my name and that I'm not a criminal and all that. <laughs> oh. And I wore all white, so it was like a baptism <laughs> of a new name. It's, it's like a, a brand new start in life, isn't yeah. it? A new husband, a new name, your own name, something that you chose. Right. Um, and and many women wouldn't think about it, and and many wouldn't have the courage to do that. That that takes a little, you know, a little courage to to do that. Yeah, yeah, it did, and it also takes a lot of work. You have to change your passport. <laughs> oh, <right>? yeah. <laughs> you have to really want to do it, but it's something I strongly believe in and encourage people if they don't feel right about their name or, or they're looking for a new start in some way. It's very powerful. Um, and I can see, and you know what I think of when I when I read your name, and this is totally off anything you've said, but when I... When I before I knew the story, which is just now, when I read Rivi, I see this beautiful flowing river. Oh, and it's it's been that way since I first read your name, and and you know I I love rivers and the whole concept of flowing water. You you wrote a book called Recipes for a Sacred Life. Now, it doesn't have a recipe in it. No chicken soup recipe, no recipes. <laughs> Why the title, okay. Recipes for a Sacred Life? Right. Well, the first, for the, back to the first marriage, um, I was 22, and my mother gave me a shower. And at the shower, she presented me with an, one of those blank recipe books that you fill in your own favorites. But my mother wasn't much of a cook, and I'm not either. So she only had two recipes, roast chicken and um, roast beef. Pretty much the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) And then all the rest was blank. And um, then a few pages later, I saw she'd written down, wash your delicates with ivory snow. And I thought, that's no recipe. (laughs) I and I thought, well, well, maybe it is. She's telling me everything she knows about how to have a good life, a happy life, um, everything she knows about marriage, you know. And but I thought there weren't really any recipes about how to have a happy life or to make the marriage good. It, you know, it wasn't enough just to wash my delicates with ivory snow no. and make roast <laughs> chicken. So I realized, you know, all my life I was searching, you know, what what are the answers? There, What are the ways that lead to happiness and lead to a goodness of living and, and a good marriage or good relationships? And there was a point in my life when I realized that my highest purpose was to live a sacred life. And, well, I'm telling you a very long story to a short answer, but basically what happened then was I I felt inspired. I heard a voice telling me that I should write a book about how to live a sacred life. And that's when I thought that all the stories, all the things that taught me, all the people I met, strangers on the subway, you know, dancing, whatever it was, they were each a recipe but I would tell them the stories that I'd recreate, the most meaningful stories from my life, and pass them on. You know, like recipes that people can 
take the essence of it and change it a little, add a little salt, a little sugar, but make it part of their life, too, that these are, you know, the truths that i found, and hopefully they'll serve other people. Let me ask you before we really get into it, what does sacred life mean to you? You can interpret it so many different ways. What did it mean to you in terms of your book? Well, in, the, in terms of my book, it meant that I would live a life of connection, that I would feel connected to other people, to nature, and to the divine. And we are connected. We are all connected, and we're connected to nature. We're part of the divine, but I wanted to feel it. And the ways I find to feel it are by love, you know, when I give love, when I give gratitude, when I'm grateful, and when I help someone or help something. So acts of service, those are the ways. So that, to me, was a sacred life, being present and connected through love, gratitude, and acts of service. And that's really what your book is about. On that note, before we get into something else, we're going to go to break. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back with more with Rivi Nishama. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. There are 13 unbreakable habits of truly enlightened people. These life-changing habits are discussed on Dream the Life, Live the Dream with Dr. Yomi Garnett. We'll offer an excursion in self-discovery along with wisdom that will allow you to stay on the correct path toward your destiny. You can find excellence in your life. Tune in every Thursday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time. That's 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for this exciting transformational journey. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Rivi Nishama, and we've been talking about her book, um, On a Sacred Life. Before the break, she talked about what a sacred life meant to her, and now I want to ask this question, because this is what most people seem to think. Uh, Do you have to be religious or spiritual to have a sacred life, Rivi? 
No, I don't think you have to be religious or spiritual or use any of those words. I, I think when you're living a sacred life, there, there is a spiritual essence that comes into your life, but you don't have to think of it that way. Like I've read that Native Americans, they didn't have a word for spiritual because they saw all life as spiritual, which exactly. is... Yeah, so it, it wasn't different. It was just what they were doing, you know. Um, you're saying hello to the sun, being grateful for the flowers. That was just part of it. And the Dalai Lama was once asked um, about his religion, and he said, my religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. And that, to me, was it, kind of like, um, if you're being kind and helping people, and, you know, being conscious of the way you live and respect the land, then that that's enough of a religion. That's enough of sacredness, of spirituality. And you don't have to use any word except kindness or no. being conscious. And, and when you were defining it, you talked about it as connection. And if you're really connected, you're not going to want to do anything that hurts anybody or anything that you're connected to. Right. Because not only you respect them, but you're very aware that when you hurt someone or hurt something, you're hurting yourself, and you feel it. You feel it in your heart and your stomach. And Oh, yes, you do. Now, there's a lot of spiritual books on the shelves, um, and spiritual, self-help, religious, you know, fill a whole corner of the bookstore. Why is your book different? Um, well, I think there's four reasons my book's different. The main one is that it's stories, that I'm not, it's not a how-to book or 10 ways to find happiness or do this every day or else. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that they're stories. And people can enjoy reading the book just for the stories. I'm a storyteller, and some make you cry, some make you laugh. Um, people tell me they just find themselves nodding, yeah, yeah, that's me, or, you know, I can relate to that. So, and stories are magical, like there's teachings in the stories, each one illuminates a different aspect of sacred living, but the stories are what make the teachings come alive, what make you remember the words or the feeling. And and I loved the stories. I, I think my favorite one is the one you wrote about your father, well, he was, as I recall, ill. Yes, he was uh, dying. A- yeah. And you made him something very special. Do you have that handy that you could read that to us? It's not long. I could do that. Yes. Let's, let's hear that story. Okay. It's called Pictures and Words. And it talks about my husband, John, too. Pictures and Words. It was a time of slowness. John and I were building our house or rather, beseeching the contractor to show up and get it built. And back in Philadelphia, my father was slowly dying. Each afternoon after work, I'd sit in the meadow in front of the slowly rising house, watch the sun go down, and think about Dad. My dad and I never spoke much about feelings. In fact, we hardly spoke at all. He was from that generation of fathers who worked hard, came home for dinner, and let the mother do the talking. But I wanted to tell him before he died how much I loved him. I didn't know how much until he got sick. In my adolescence, we had a rough time, 
with lots of yelling and fights. I wasn't shy expressing my anger, and now I needed to express my love. When I thought about that love, it came to me like this, how much fun he was in bursting with life, the way he looked so big and handsome, how he'd bring us hot fudge sundaes in excitement when he came home from work, his courage and irrepressible humor while facing a devastating disease. I'll make him a book, I thought, a book of those moments. So I bought a small online journal and began to draw pictures and write simple prose, like a picture book for children. And here's from the book. My father has big happy cheeks and warm brown eyes that twinkle, I wrote on page one. Then I drew a sketch of his happy big cheeked face. My dad is a teller of tales and a singer of songs. He played the ukulele and sang the Big Feet Blues. I've got the Big Feet Blues, don't know what to do. Get up in the morning, can't put on my shoes. (laughs) Summer's with Dad. He took me to Philly games where we cheered and ate hot dogs with wonderful mustard. On July 4th, he grilled the best cheeseburgers I ever tasted and drove us to see the best fireworks. And when I was really young, he played with me at the seashore and held me up to jump the waves. On it went, memory after memory, page by page. Sometimes I cried while I wrote it, but it made me laugh, too, and it was working. The pictures and words were holding the love to honor him and say thanks. My father, who rarely wrote or phoned me, sent me a letter when he received the book. He said he was reading and rereading it and that reliving all the things we'd done together made him feel young. I will cherish it forever, he wrote. I love you very much. He died seven months later. Now I read and reread his letter. I will cherish it forever. I love him very much. And that's just one of the lovely, lovely stories in this book. While we're talking about your father, tell us about your mother, because there seems to be such a fondness and admiration there. You speak of her so often. Yes, well, my mother, it was after my father died, actually, that my mother and I became close again. We'd been very tight when I was growing up because my father was in the war. Um, But it was after he died and when I was in, I guess, my 50s or 40s and she was in her 70s that we started talking a lot. And I realized, you know, how much good guidance and wisdom she had to give me. And there's different parts of the book where I share that wisdom and I share the stories, you know, what was going on so people can see. And that's another thing about my book that it's very human and everyday, very real and honest that I talk about dark times in my life and depression or anxiety and how my mother was there to help me and words that she said that gave me spirit. And my mother just watching her live and go through so much and uh, not just the death of my father and 
but um, so many illnesses and experimental heart surgery. And I was with her recently. This isn't in the book. It's since the book. But she had a stroke while I was there. Mm. And it was terrifying. And we called the ambulance. She knew. And we got there, and she was in the emergency room. And doctor and nurse, everyone kept coming in and saying, tell us your name, and do you know who the president is? (laughs) One after the other, we keep saying that. My poor mother, she was throwing up. She was in pain. But finally, she said to the last one who said, do you know who the president is? She said, this reminds me of a joke about the senior President Bush. And then she proceeded to tell them the joke, you know, in the middle, lying on the on the cot in the emergency room. And, and then she uh, had to throw up, so she couldn't finish the joke. I knew the joke, so I finished it. But I thought, Lord, what a lesson to me, you know, that... Whatever happens, wherever you are, you know, to keep your humor, to keep your spirit, you know, keep your strength, your faith. What a lesson to the, to the staff there, too. Right. That's sort of one of the routine <laughs> things that you ask, you know, but after the first one asks, you would think they'd catch on. Right, right. <laughs> At least ask another question. <laughs> right, and it was a good joke, too. <laughs> it, uh, well, can you tell it? Sure. Tell us um, it's a joke. It was um, President Bush, the first President Bush, Bush the elder. <clears throat> he was visiting a nursing home, and he said to someone, show me the oldest person here. And they pointed to this man sitting in the corner, and President Bush went over to this old, old man, and he said hello, and the man said hello, and then President Bush said, do you know who I am? And the man looked at him up and down, and he said, no, but if you go to the receptionist, I'm sure she'll help you out. <laughs> oh, you got to love that one. What a perfect joke for the emergency right. <laughs> For those people who, who were asking you all, asking your mother all those questions. So your mother, did she recover from that stroke? Yes, and- yes she still um, can't really walk that well. And she's still, you know, often in a wheelchair, but she regained everything else. So, and my mother always said she just, if she, as long as she has her mind, she'll be grateful. And she certainly has her mind. She's still telling jokes all the time. What a lovely, what a lovely way to be able to think about your mother. Some people don't, and I, you know, I, I, I really have sympathy for them. My mother was so wonderful, and I miss her every day. And and I don't know how it is when you don't have that to remember. Mm-hmm. One of the things you say, and we may not have time to really get into this before the break, but you write. I guess you could live a sacred life without laughter, but tell me this, why would you want to? Right. You know, and what a great statement. How important is laughter in your life? Oh, I, I think it's one of the most important things, and I think it saves me. <laughs> you know, faith and laughter, <laughs> probably. Those are the two things that I need and want and look for if I can't find it on my own. And um, one of in that story about life, death, and laughter, 
But it starts um, by talking about my sister, I think. You know, my father and my sister, that they both made me laugh so much, you know, growing up. And I'm staying at my sister's now um, in California. And I, she can just get me laughing, so I cry. And But laughing at myself, laughing at life, you know, that I'll be complaining and telling her I've got this problem and that problem. That's another thing about my book. Like I said, I'm very honest. I'm not this sacred saint. I'm a person who can complain and worry and be scared. And that's what makes it so great. <laughs> you know, that's what I loved about your book is... You were so real, so honest, and that takes courage. And on that note, we're going courageously to a break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Ravina Shama, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in to the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Learn all about sexuality, science, and spirituality, and the connection between all three. Tune in to the Tantric Lounge with one of Australia's foremost sex therapists and expert in love and intimacy, Jacqueline Hillier. Our program is all about the art and science of sex for the thinker and explorer. Get more out of your sex life than you've ever imagined. Come visit the Tantric Lounge every Thursday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sex like you've never experienced. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Rivi Nishama. We've been talking about living a sacred life. You say in your book that every day you say this, thank you for this world, thank you for this day. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to live. What does that mean to you, Rivi? It's such a profound statement. Well, it's well, there's two parts. So the first, of course, I thank you for this world. Um, 
to do that every morning, I think, helps me so much just settle into the world and into gratitude, you know, saying hello to the sun, the sky, the birds, the flowers, and it's a beautiful world. Thank you for this world. Thank you for this day. And then it's a good day to die. It's a good day to live. It's a good day to die. I got from um, Native American readings and uh, that there was a chief who, when he would go into battle, he would say that. It's a good day to die. And it felt, I liked the expression because it gave me strength. It, it was like, yeah, you're going to battle. It's another day. But if you die, it's a good day to die. You know, it's, it's, um, it's okay. You're going to do it. And it, it seems like a way to be ready, ready for death, you know, and to live a good life, to make that day worth living. And the truth is, lately, I mean, sometimes I'm frightened of dying or frightened of people dying, other people I love. And I recently lost two very close friends. Um, one, Sarah, is in a lot of the stories in the book. And in a way, it makes... I don't know, but it it almost makes me feel less frightened of dying that all these wonderful people are there. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're getting everything you know, ready. I used to be terrified of death until I met a number of people who'd had near death experiences. Yeah. And they talk about how beautiful it is and how they saw the people that had gone before them and how wonderful it was to see them. And yes. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound so bad. No, and, and Sarah was seeing her parents. They were coming to her, visiting her before she died. You know, so it started, you know, and I think Paul McCartney has a song about whatever is there is going to be even better than here. And here's not so bad. (laughs) No, here's not bad at all. And that's one of the things you make clear in your book. Here's not bad at all. Even in the tough times, there's always something good there. You you say that in almost every story in a subtle way. Yeah, this too shall pass, right? Yeah, this too shall pass. In the subtitle, you mention miracles. Yes. Tell us, uh, you know, there's a couple of them in there. And yeah. In fact, there's a lot of them in there. Yes. Uh, but you don't necessarily point them out. Give us an example of what you you, you consider a miracle. Well, I, I consider, there, well, there's, like you say, there, there's some, there's a lot of different kinds of miracles. There's just the miracles of life, the miracle of love, the, the miracle of watching a sunrise or or a moonrise, and the other night I saw, it was the night after Sarah died, out, I went out, um, just looking at the dark sky with John, and suddenly we saw this beautiful moon, and there were stars almost in a circle around the moon, and then these two clouds were forming arcs on either side, and then there was just darkness after that. So you saw this black sky, and then these arcs of the moon, circle of stars, I'm sorry, arcs of clouds, circle of stars, and the moon in the center. It was so strikingly beautiful that not to call it a miracle would have been insulting. And we also felt that it was a sign from Sarah that I've had that experience before when close friends have died, 
that there's been something in nature that I've seen, like once it was a white owl came right down on the windshield of our car the night after a close friend died. And these things feel like miracles. They're signs from beyond. Um, So that, like I say, there's the miracles of every day. There's just the miracle of loving your father or loving a grandchild or loving the flowers. But there's also miracles that um, two of my stories in particular talk about. And they're the miracles of synchronicity. When strange things happen, you know, stranger than logic would predict and things you couldn't imagine happening, but they do. And I I don't want to give it away because those are long stories that I hope people will enjoy reading. One is called Miracles to Share, and the other is Do a Mitzvah. What's a mitzvah? I love that chapter. (laughs) And and those are miracle stories. Those are true miracles that they're, they're just, you know, strange. There's things. And I wrote them also because... I had read this book that said maybe everybody experiences miracles, but we have to start talking about them and not be embarrassed because that gives other people, you know, the courage to talk about their miracles without feeling silly or to believe in miracles, to hope for them, you know, to know, yeah, they do exist, but there are times in life when you really need something and you really pray for it or you're thinking of it and it happens and it happens in unexpected ways. And I think we have to look around and be aware. I mean, I think they happen more than we ever give right, credit. Right, right. You know, because we're not we're not tuned in. You know, or we just think it's you know, a little coincidence. Right. Would you, you know, say, yeah, oh, thank God that happened, instead of thinking, right, you should Wow, look that at happened. that, a miracle <laughs> today, yeah. Right. Uh, and And it doesn't mean that, I don't believe, like, you know, some writers will say that you can have everything you want or anything you imagine you can create. Um, I think to some extent you can, but these are, these miracles, they come like gifts. And I don't, I don't know if you have to be thinking of them or anything. They're, they're gifts that come when you need them. Um, I totally agree. In in your book, you know, looking at your book as a whole, Mm -hmm. there aren't any great, big, astounding, astonishing kind of holy happenings. Right. Uh, And yet it's about living a sacred life. I don't know whether you're familiar with St. Teresa, who was called the Little Flower. Yes, I am a little bit. And and she found God in everything. Every tiny little thing she tried to do the best she could for God. And she was called, you know, the saint of the little things. And, And that, you know, your book made me think of her because you're finding the sacred in all the little things, you know, in nature and all the things of nature and people. You know, what are some of the easy, everyday ways we can all connect to the sacred? Well, one you you just alluded to is, you know, to be in nature. But to be there and to feel it, to look at it, to smell it, you know, maybe just go touch a tree or sit on the lawn and look at the sky 
look at the flowers, really look at a flower. Every flower is so amazing, such artistry, that that you have to have a sense of that you live in a sacred world. Um, so that's one thing, nature. Another thing is just helping others. I find when I help someone, and it could be something very simple, um, just holding the door open for someone after you go into a store, and they smile and thank you, and you smile and feel so good, and you get that connection, and that makes you feel the sacredness. So that was two things I combined, the smile and the helping others. I think either of them, just smiling at someone on the street and watching their face light up, and all of a sudden they look beautiful. Everyone, when they smile, looks beautiful, and you get a jolt of connection from that smile. Um, another way to feel the sacred, there's two more, I think. One is to give thanks, and to feel grateful and to say it. You could say it out loud. You could write it down. But, and you could be thanking God if you use those terms or the divine, or just thank the sun or thank your friend, you know, but giving thanks out loud that I'm so thankful. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. That, that I think fills you with a, a sacred feeling. And finally, forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is a barrier, I think, to feeling the sacredness of life and of our own life, of our own self. And the more we can forgive, and any time we do forgive, you get like a, a, a rush of love, a peacefulness, you know, that things are right with the world. And that could be forgiving yourself, too. When you forgive yourself, just, I'm only human, I forgive myself. You know, even just saying that, uh, a peacefulness comes and a sense of sacred. And, and I think forgiving ourselves is probably the hardest and maybe yeah. the most important. And and one of the things that it isn't necessarily spoken in your book, but, you know, you talk about some of the, the mistakes you've made very openly, very courageously. And obviously you've forgiven yourself and moved on. And it's it's not said, but it's there. Yeah. And it gives a wonderful flavor to to everything because it makes you so real. You know, we can all identify with that yeah. when you have some flaws. Yes, well, I'm real. <laughs> love the flaws. <laughs> I, I love the story of picking the, the gypsy dress for the wedding. Oh, you know, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd yeah. love to see the dress. You know? <laughs> I, you know, I, I only... Oh, hello? Hello. Yeah, I'm. I don't know what that is. I think I touched something on my sister's phone. Is everything okay? It's it's fine. Okay. I, I mean, that's one of my problems in life is that I think I was meant for the 19th century, <laughs> and all these phones and televisions, <laughs> everything new. Um, I seem to have a little problem with. But what you said before, like the other day. I, my husband and I got into a kind of a tiff that we were both being cranky and all, and I was feeling terrible, and I was thinking, I can't forgive myself, and I was thinking, and how can I be, I'm about to give a book reading of the book, and I thought, oh, I'm reading about this sacred life, and look what I'm doing, and then I had to, I thought, I've got to get back to forgiving myself, and I remembered a poem by Rumi, I quote Rumi, 
twice in the book. His poems are so wonderful that he was a Sufi mystic. <clears throat> and I remember this poem. It's called The Guest House. And I don't know the words exactly, but it was like this living, this being a human being. It's like being a guest house. You, you never know who's going to appear. It could be a mean thought, or it could be love or happiness, or it could be envy or anger. You know, welcome them all. Welcome them all to your house, because you don't know the gift they're going to leave. What a lovely thought. On that note, we're going to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Rivi Nishama, saying stay tuned. We'll be back with more. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. Today, my guest is Rivi Nishama. We've been talking about her book, uh, about living a sacred life. Um, Rivi, tell us, how can people find you? The link is on the blog. They can find it there. But let's right. hear from you where they can find you and where can they find your book. Okay. Well, actually, the nice thing about having an unusual name like Rivi, <laughs> which I always say like River, <laughs> R-I-V is in Virginia, V is in Virginia, Y. If you just Google that on the computer, Ravina Shama will come up. That'll be my website, um, the book on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble. It's at all stores. Um, and if it's not, you can ask them to order it. And um, so that's that's an easy way to get to the website. And on my website, um, theravinashama.com, there's a book page where you can order the book from your favorite bookstore or from online, you know, any way you want. 
And I'm going to be speaking at Mystic Journey Bookstore in Venice, California, this Friday night, March 21st, at 7. And then Sunday in Corte Madera at Book Passage, I'll be speaking again at 7. And then um, and on my website, it lists all the oncoming, upcoming events. that I'll be going back to Denver and Boulder and probably Philadelphia and New York. So I've been doing in the New Mexico. So I, when I um, figure out how to update, I update. I put all the events <laughs> on, the, on the website. It's really that is actually something I learned how to do. <clears throat> so that's that's and there's a way to stay in touch with me if people um, go to the contact page, and if they email me, I'll be answering them, and we can communicate. And I'll, I'll eventually be sending out, you know, little newsletters or through Wonderful. the email. How is the book being received? Because it is such a lovely book. Oh, thank you, Irene. It's getting a beautiful reception. Um, Red Book Magazine made it the book club pick of the month in January. Oh, and Forward Reviews just named it. It's a finalist for Best Book of the Year in the Body, Mind, and Spirit category. So that was an honor. And Mom's Choice Awards, uh, Mom's Choice made it. They, it's a gold medal winner. But more important, or just as important, a lot of people who come to the readings or read the book, they're telling me how much it's helped them and uplifted them and you know, brought joy to their life and showed them ways that they can make their life more sacred or, or to appreciate the sacredness they already have and they weren't noticing as much, but now they're noticing more. So that gives me great pleasure that, you know, that people feel uplifted and comforted. And, and I don't think yeah. you can read the book without feeling that way. The one wonderful thing about it is that it is not preachy. Right. It's just stories about life. You know, and it feels, it, it, you know, I, I always want, I, it, we don't have fireplaces here much in Arizona. It's just a little too hot. Um, but it's a kind of book you want to, or when you're feeling jangled, just pick it up and, and read one of the stories. They're all short. Um, it doesn't take a long time to read one of them. Yeah. And you always leave it feeling better than you did when you picked it up. Yeah, thank and, you. I'm, I'm so glad you feel that way. And, and yes, people love that they're very short. A lot of young mothers told me, you know, they don't have much time, but they can read one of these in the morning or before they go to bed or while they're at work or on the subway. <laughs> and and that it, make, it just makes them feel good for the day. It helps them. And... And they like the humor, you know, they, that some people you know, with With all the, you know, the positive reception the book has had, why do you think it's so timely now? I mean, what is, what is it that people are needing that your book is giving them? I think um, it's timely now because we're in a time where we're so overconnected in, in so many ways with smartphones and iPads and on our computers that we've lost true connection. And it's, it's reminding people of just the so many ways you can connect, you know, with bird watching, with cooking, with everything, you know, in your life. I think it's that and, and that it's talking about 
um, deeper meaning or more meaningful information that people are we're over informed now whether we want to be or not we we know about everything awful that's happening in every corner of the earth and over and over right. and over and this is just a reminder i think of meaningful you know what is meaningful in life what what do you want to know or need to know and it it might not be you know the things we're hearing on the television radio and on the computers it's a little respite i guess it's a respite. Yes, you know, and a one reminder. Of the, mm-hmm. One of the things you talk about, one of, your, one of your chapters or your stories is looking for God in all the wrong places. You know, talk a little bit about that. Okay. Where, well, should, where should we look? That, that was a story really about forgiveness um, that I was so angry at a friend, and I, just, and I was remembering this phrase, you know, see God in everyone. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, no way. I was really... Yeah, she's <laughs> not there. I couldn't see God in her, and I thought I couldn't even see anything good in her. And then I remembered the Dalai Lama said, when you're really angry, look for the good in the person. And I, as I started to do that, to remember the good things, the reasons you love them. And that is one way back, and and to find... You know, I I started remembering my friend's humor and how she was there for me when I was sick. And suddenly, you know, my heart started to melt and I could see the good in her again. And I say, you know, that finding God in everyone isn't easy. But when you see the good in them, you're halfway there. And that the funny thing is what you see is what you get. So when you look for the good, um, sometimes my friend Sarah, my friend who just died, I remember... She said when she'd be at airports and she was bored, she'd watch people go by and she'd look for something that she liked in every person that went by. It could be their smile or the way they were holding their child's hand or whatever. And that connected her to the person. So that was the way of finding the good, the God, the connection between the two of you. Lovely. Rivy, I hate to say this, but we're right up to the end of the show. Oh. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today? The thought to leave you with today is, I think, that we all know that we're here for a reason, and to find, is to spend some time looking for that reason and then living it. And the planet and the people in it, a lot of people are going through hard times now, planet's going through a hard time, but to do as much as we can to help others and to help the world, and that'll make, and whoever does that, I promise, will feel so great. Just doing the smallest act of help will make you feel great and will make you feel a sacredness. It'll connect you with the world, with the divine, with the people you're helping. What a wonderful thought. Next week's guest is Guy Joseph Ale, who will talk about how to be the best version of yourself at every age. Rivy, thank you so, so much for being with us today. 
Yeah, I wish you so much success with your book. I know it's going to bless everybody who buys it. Oh, thank you. It was wonderful to talk with you. It, 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 was, it was so relaxing and pleasurable. <laughs> it was my pleasure, too. This is Irene Collin and my guest, Ravina Shama, saying thank you for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for The Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.